Welcome, everybody, to what appears now to be our 30th podcast, according to John. Good morning, John. Good morning, Jack. And we're here with our podcast called We Talk Photo, which is a podcast about kind of everything uh, that has to do with uh, nature, travel, wildlife, photography, uh, and in in that uh, mode. Today, we have a very dear friend of mine um, and, uh, and, a, and a really a, a good person, good photographer, Mr. David Cobb from Near Hood River, Oregon. Good morning, David. Good morning. How are you guys doing? It's an honor to have you. Yeah. Taking some time out of your schedule. I know you have a crazy schedule to 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 uh to give us a few minutes we've had uh sean um from your photo cascadia group sean bagshaw on already and awesome. it's a pleasure to have uh you with us thanks well it's good to be here thanks for having me on and uh i'm glad to share my thoughts and views and uh i guess we can get to it now cool david and you know dave john i don't know if you know this or not but um can't remember when I moved to Oregon. I think it was in wow, uh twenty oh I'm gonna guess somewhere around twenty oh five, twenty oh four, something like that. And David and I got to know each other through a website that has been reinvigorated called naturephotographers.net. Right. And uh we we kinda knew each other just from there, but um, I don't know if David remembers this. Uh, you know, when I was new to Oregon, I, I kind of, uh, other than read read what was around to shoot, but David kind of really uh, spent a lot of time driving around and showing me some great areas up uh, in his neck of the woods, out toward Hood River and up on the on the plateau up there. I guess that's what we could call it. Um, yeah, I call lands. it. Yeah, I call it the Little Palouse sometimes. The Little Palouse. Uh, That's yeah, a great the Columbia, title. The Columbia yeah. River Plateau. So it's just uh, a lot of cool old buildings and schoolhouses and wheat fields. And it's a pretty area. I like to I remember when you shot that sure. green elevator. Remember, I, I think I used it as my Christmas card one year. And yeah, uh, that was a great day because you were driving. Was, you brought your big rig over, and we were. It, there was like six inches of snow out there, yeah. and uh, yep. it was it was fabulous. Yep, and I'm gonna. You know, I guess I've I've probably never really thanked you for that, but David was really. Um, a lot of people don't like to share locations, and David was uh, really great about that. And I always remember that, and will always thank you for that. It was a, well, thanks. Great thing. Well, it's great to have you on, David. Tell, just bring our our listeners up to up to speed on you and what you're doing, and and uh, anything uh, anything I don't know. Uh, well, I'm I've been a photographer for most of my life. I uh, started really young um, with a James Bond briefcase slash machine gun camera, <laughs> and uh, then then went on to my hiking life. And with my hiking life, I had a point and shoot that I um, recorded a lot of my walks with along the Pacific Crest Trail from Mexico to Canada, along the Continental Divide, about 3,000 miles of that, from Canada to Mexico, and then across you Iceland. Walked, and You walked 3,000 miles? Yeah, I did, along on. the spine of the Rockies. So, um, and then I the three miles. <laughs> well, it's uh, it was fun, and it really taught me a lot about photography. And then when I got more serious, I uh, got my 
first Canon camera and um, have been shooting camera Canon since the early 90s. And in the early 90s, I started, I mean, the late 90s, I started photographing Japanese garden at the Portland Japanese garden. And I uh, started shooting infrared film with that and then started shooting Japanese gardens, which was another big part of my life and just uh, nature photography in general. So I conduct workshops. I just do everything else that a lot of nature photographers do these days. So I guess that's my story. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of us, um, a lot of people who, who do these podcasts also do workshops, and uh, we, you know, we we're not um, uh, you know we're not against telling everybody out there some of the other good people who who run workshops, and David himself, along with the group down in Photo Cascadia run they run great events and and uh, i recommend them highly even though we run our own we're not uh we're not short-sighted i think correct job correct thanks yeah I, I i think the more people that are out there doing things right i think that's good for the industry i think that's good for everybody it sets an it sets an example to others out there um you know i've had a couple of run-ins in national parks recently with people not behaving themselves and i'm not one to keep quiet so i speak up and i i speak up and they don't appreciate it but uh i think a lesson needs to be learned um that they're doing something wrong so yeah imagine that happens all the time so David, those trails you, uh, trails used to be two feet wide or about twenty feet wide oh, now. I know. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things that's changed out there, and the environment is one of them. So, um, and in the new photo, you talked about Photo Cascadia. We've got a new ebook out, and we have a bunch of nature tips in that ebook too. That basically talks about how to take care of the environment. So that's a big part of what that Photo Cascadia is about, and it's a big it's part of what I'm part about. Our job, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, you know, there's a lot of different aspects of the job, but setting a good example and being out in the environment and taking care of it is part of our job too. Um, yeah, not stressing I mean, I, animals, everything. I think as we promote, you know, through our work, we promote these beautiful landscapes and beautiful animals. And I think inherent in that a little bit is some stewardship for us. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. You know, I applauded, uh, the folks at Rainier, you took the uh, Leave No Trace test, I assume, David? Yes, I did. Um, I'm doing a workshop in Rainier next year, so they started doing the Leave No Trace test, and I applaud that, too. I, mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, the workshop leader is there with a number of people, and if they can know more and spread that education to others, I think that's just a good thing. Um, nothing wrong with that at all. What are you up to now? What are you doing now? At this very moment, I am. This is the season where I'm doing paperwork. I'm trying to finish year-end images and getting my keywording done and applying for permits and all that desk job stuff. Professional emailers. Basically, just yeah. I'm invoicing. I'm just. I'm doing my desk job right now. So that's this is the time of year. November, December is my desk job kind of time, and that's what I'm up to. Mm. It, it's the boring part of photography that people don't know about. It's the stuff we do a lot 
and everyone thinks we're out all the time shooting constantly and in these pretty places and they envy us and it, little do they know is that you're at your desk a lot too trying to sell images trying to do invoicing all that other stuff oh yeah i spent the, i spent yesterday i spent nine hours at my desk yesterday doing nothing but paperwork yeah and, and that's yeah. i mean all week long it's just been pretty much paperwork for me yeah so. it's like a regular job I know, but I'm not in a cubicle, so that's good. No, that is a good thing. So, so talk about your workshops a little bit. You run some domestic stuff with Photo uh, Cascadia, and then you run some international things by yourself. Is that right? Um, yeah, some international. I, I do a lot of international stuff with the Cascade Center of Photography, and uh, domestic ones I do with the Pacific Northwest Art School, and I also have my Best of the Northwest uh, photo workshops. So those are the long weekend workshops that I do in the Pacific Northwest, and then out of there, um, outside of that, I basically uh, do other stuff around the United States, but it's usually, again, with the Cascade Center of Photography. Nice. Where's where, where, where's where's your first trip this year, Dave? The first trip in 2020. Yeah, the first trip in 2020 is uh, actually down to Bandon. I'll be there with Sean Bagshaw, who uh, you just had on the show. So Sean and I are doing a workshop uh, along the Southern Oregon coast. So we'll be in Bandon, and then we're off to Mendocino. Uh, Sean and I Bandon today, by the way, they're getting a huge clobbering down there oh really yeah okay Eight mile an hour winds this afternoon ouch yep. yeah well hopefully that won't be going on um <laughs> when we're down there but you never know so usually in late february abandon gets that nice little 70 degree weather all of a sudden that, uh everywhere else in oregon and washington is probably 42 degrees and then abandon you look down there and it's 70 so yeah. it can be a good time to be there So, Judd, um, you, I know you have some questions you wanted to ask uh, David. Why don't you uh, go down that list there? And... Well, for sure. So, David, I'm sitting here looking at one of your beautiful books called Quiet Beauty, the Japanese Gardens of North America. Um, it's a beautiful edition. I think you did this with uh, Kendall Brown. Um, mm -hmm. You provided all the photographs for it. Talk about... I, I'm curious about how the genesis of this book happened and how or why Japanese gardens speak to you so much. Well, I, the genesis of the book happened um, because I had, I did a lot of photography for the Portland Japanese garden and they, they licensed a number of my images. So I had a contract with them to have a, you know, certain amount of images for them every year. So it was a job in a way, but I heard from an employee there that uh, Tuttle Publishing was looking for some ideas on uh, some book ideas. So I pitched them an idea to do a project and they expanded the idea and came up with the uh, Japanese Gardens of North America. So the Quiet Beauty book was born. Um, they liked my photography and then they said I had to pick a photographer. Um, Kendall Brown was first on my list. I, I had to pick a writer, I'm sorry. Yeah. And Kendall Brown was first on my list. And uh, he said yes. So off we went doing that. And so, so you got to travel to a bunch of different Japanese gardens around the country? I did. 
there's 25 of the best Japanese gardens featured there. And then in the appendix, I think there's either 50 or 75 more. Um, oh. There's only there's over 400 in the, uh, in, in the United States and Canada. So, But we chose the top 25 to photograph and write about. How did you figure out who the top 25 are? Uh, Tuttle Publishing had a prepared list of Japanese gardens they wanted um, in the book. And uh, the writer, Kendall Brown, he's the foremost expert of Japanese gardens oh. in North America. And he took that list and reshaped it a little bit. And they came to agreement on what the top 25 were. So... From the someone else in Maine keeps a list of the top twenty-five, Jap, the top Japanese gardens in North America. So, um, anyway, they uh, they decided which were the top twenty-five and which were going to be in the book. And then I had my marching orders, and off I went to photograph. How long did it take? Uh, that. Well, I mean, the project itself took a long time. The photography part took about a year. And uh, a little under a year, probably. But it probably took longer than that because we had to set a budget. We had to come up with an agreement. Um, we had to sign contracts. And we had to figure out which gardens to photograph. All that other stuff was entailed. So it probably took two and a half years from start to finish wow. to do that book. Um, my part of it, uh, the photography part, at least there, everything was my part, but the photography part took probably nine or 10 months. Mm. Well, it's a, the, the images are obviously really amazing. You, you, the, um, I mean, I, I, I see that there's a shot here from the Brooklyn Botanical Garden. Is the Japanese garden part of that Brooklyn Botanical Garden? Yes. Yeah. If And there's a lot of places like that around the United States where there's a huge botanical garden, you know, like the Huntington in Los Angeles. Uh, in New York, there's a Brooklyn botanical garden. And then I uh, then photographed just the Japanese garden part of that. So it was kind of nice to get there before sunrise. The and around. What was the biggest challenge? Gosh, I, I, I would say probably... Getting there, well, I guess the biggest challenge is, now that I think about it, is maybe just the red tape involved and having to get into these places uh, to photograph. Um, I follow, We followed up this book with another book on featuring the top Japanese garden designers in the U.S. So it's the uh, uh, private gardens, their public gardens, and their corporate work. So some of those, um, some of the paperwork on that and some of the bureaucracy involved. So getting into the UN building and photographing a Japanese garden there, I had to get a approval from the Japanese consulate. I had to get an approval from the U.S. government. I had to get a, proof, uh, a letter from the publisher. I then had to go and apply for accreditation and then I had to get accepted and then I had to then be there at a certain time to get my permit and it's really hard when you have to wait on somebody else to give you a permit for something when you have Especially to be there you know the sun's rising in new york city and you know my my time to get a shot is 
quickly going away and I'm waiting in line to get this little pass. And as soon as I get the pass, I take off with my camera gear and tripod and run over to the UN building and get in. Someone's waiting for me to meet me there. And then I go in to start shooting. So I've got probably 45 minutes in this garden to get all the shots that I need to get before the sun totally blows everything out and I, I can't shoot anymore. So luckily it was on the shady side of the building. Otherwise I would have been screwed. But, uh, you know, that, that kind of stuff is, is a bit stressful at times when you're watching the sunrise and you got to shoot and you know, you're not going to get the shot if it gets any higher. Yeah. I would imagine cause you don't get a second chance to go back. No, no. Yeah. Cause all of that, all of that, uh, bureaucracy that I had to go to is for one chance, one time. Right. And, you know, something breaks along the way. Uh, you know, this guy didn't show up until an hour after he was supposed to be there. And so all of a sudden, well, I just have to wait and be patient, but yeah. it's hard to do. So these, these projects are pretty amazing. I mean, this is a, an absolutely gorgeous book and, uh, and it, you know, it really shows that two and a half years of work. It's, it's one of the nicest books. So folks, if you, you know, we'll, we'll put a link up in the show notes for you. But if you want to see an amazing book with very serene, tranquil images of Japanese gardens, it, this is a beauty. You know, both Jack and I have it in our bookshelves. Thanks. And, I, and we paid for ours. Yes, David. we did pay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were, we were kidding David the, about that earlier. <laughs> it'll go to the David Cobb Retirement Fund. It's yeah. all good. I so, love that retirement fund. <laughs> David, let me let me switch a little bit and ask you just a smidge about Photo Cascadia. So for those people uh -huh. who don't know what Photo Cascadia is, can you give them a kind of a, just a brief overview and and uh, how did it come to be? Well, Photo Cascadia started 10 years ago and uh, basically we are a group of photographers, there's seven of us, and we share information, knowledge, tips uh, on our website. Um, there's videos, there's blogs. I just did a recently did a blog on all the photography books I read this. I reviewed all the photography books that I read this year and there were nine of them. So that's, you know, article from there to Sean Bagshaw doing a video on how to post process. Um, and it started, we were a group of photographers that met on NPN which is Nature Photographers Network. And we met there around 2004 uh, and got to know each other. And then Adrian Klein asked us if we were interested in forming a group. He approached us on that, and all of us said yes. And that was in 2009, so we've been around for about 10 years now. Um, and uh, Aaron Bobnick uh, is uh, an addition um, to the group. Uh, we had six of us and Erin joined us about uh, about uh, five years after that. So she's been on for a while now and she's a great addition to the group. And so now there are seven and uh, it's been a, it's been a fun group to work with uh, because one, we push each other photographically. Uh, we have someone to vent to who is also in the industry. So it's nice having that friend along because the photography industry can be kind of lonely at times. Mm -hmm. So it's nice to have a group to lean on and to share and to have camaraderie with. And uh, we recently put out a ebook also, which is a reverse location guide to um, 
the western part of the United States, west of the Rockies. So there are a number of states that we talk about, and we have locations that are in there with a lot of also um, nature photo tips. And uh, that's selling really, really well right now, too. It's a, it's a beautiful ebook. So that was uh, something we just put out last week. Yeah, I saw the big announcements. You know, I everybody individually I've I've admired and known for years and then collectively, I mean you guys are you guys are have some amazing synergy and and the one thing I'll say to everybody out there is that the the product, the what you guys deliver, guys and gals deliver always top notch quality. I mean, everybody in that group has such high standards for themselves. It really comes through um, as a group. And it's just a wonderful organization. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Um, you know, we've, we, we don't take photography lightly. So that's one thing, you know, you talked about the high standards and that's one thing we strive for. And that's one thing we, we push each other on. So, uh, as a group, it hel- has helped us each individually, I think. Yeah. You guys don't go after the quick or easy. I mean, you, you do things right. Yeah, it's not always the the photos that we're which we're shooting is yeah it's not the quick and easy easy so we're we're not an insta photographer so um, you know it's we we've had a, a good long track record and uh, you know it's it's something to be proud of and I am yeah good you should so folks check it out photocascadia dot com um, we'll put links again up in the show notes for you but that's another great group of folks to uh, get familiar with if you're not already. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, David, uh, you know, we're in a, I guess we've always been in a period of flux in terms of uh, oh, we, equipment and trends and, and changes in processing, all, all sorts of stuff. And I think, you know, we're probably continuing to be in one. Um, just a quick viewpoint on kind of the state of the union as you see it. Where, where, where are we going? Where, what do you think is happening to um, travel and nature photography as a whole? Uh, everybody's a photographer, you know. And, uh, yeah. It, what are your um, thoughts on that? Well, not having a crystal ball, but I'll, I'll throw my bones on the table and see if I can read those instead but uh, um, I, I, I think with the, the industry and how it's changing so quickly it's almost hard to read it sometimes um, because it is moving so quickly and by the time you think it's going in one direction it goes off in a different direction so um, you know Instagram is obviously and Facebook social media is playing a huge um, part of the photography industry and how it's shaping the industry right now uh, as far as how places are becoming more popular, popularized, and in turn, what that does is there's a limiting factor on workshop groups, and you're going to see more legalese, uh, more paperwork as we go on, more permits, different permits. It seems like uh, about once every couple of months, there's a new permit you have to apply for and work on for taking photo groups out there. So I think we're going to see more and more of that as time goes on. As far as the industry goes, uh, you know, cameras themselves, they're getting smaller and smaller as uh, 
more people get into it and you're seeing a lot more mirrorless cameras out there. And I think the industry is definitely going that way um, with the cameras. Uh, you know, how many pixels people need seems to be less of less important these days. I remember how important that used to be, but it, it seems like we've got more than enough right now. Um, for what people need. So I, I think as the camera gets smaller, you're going to see uh, more importance put on dynamic range. And you're, you're seeing that right now with the newer cameras coming out. And uh, as far as people photographing, there seems to be a homogenization, homogenization of style. And what I mean by that is uh, people are buying videos from others and wanting to be photographing and having a style just like others. And there just seems to be a sameness in photography that I hadn't seen ever before in photography, certainly not in the film era, but uh, definitely not in the uh, digital era until the last couple of years it's really come come about. And I can remember Michael Kenna, um, there's a quote from him about how Photography is easy and it's hard to make a mistake these days. And what's really difficult is being different, being yourself and showing more of yourself in your photography. That's the hard part of photography right now. And uh, I'm hoping that things will change and we'll see more and more of that coming about instead of uh, everyone's photos looking exactly alike. I think, you know, just to add on to that, David, I I would agree with everything that you said. I'll also say that um, there's a lot of homogenization due to social media. Everybody is shooting for things that they think people want to see instead of what's in their heart. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, Everybody wants the same picture. Yeah, you know, posting a black and white image on social media can just be death to that image. <laughs> so, but if it has a red sky, all of a sudden the likes go crazy. Oh yeah. So where do you go with that? Um, you really need to be yourself. So the fear of posting a uh, image shouldn't be there, but it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. So let's, so, so that was kind of a nice segue to one of the questions I wanted to ask you. Uh, what's, how do you approach creating images? How do you, what's your philosophy slash, I hate to use the word style, but how do you approach your art? Uh, I, I, I want it to look natural. Um, I want it, there, there seems to be those who like it natural a look and those who like this dreamy look. And I'm kind of, I think I'm a link in between those kind of two different styles that are fairly large today. Um, so, but I try to, I try to have it more natural. That doesn't mean that I'm against anyone else doing what they want to create their art. That's just fine. Um, as far as manipulation, I don't do a ton of that. So, uh, you know, as far as processing goes, you know, some images I can do very quickly. Other images, it may take me a while to get it the way I want it to look. Um, but I, again, those red skies that are out there, I, I don't, I, I remember 
long ago. It just had to be – you had to have this great sky, this red sky, and that made made the difference to me. But if it's not reflecting light in the land these days, it doesn't really do it for me so much. I'm looking more for the light in the land than what's going on in the sky. Um, so, But I, I do like that natural look. Yeah. You know, I've, I've almost noticed kind of in myself that I'm almost shying away from – a lot of color in images. And I don't know why. I think maybe it's a little bit of a backlash to all this social media and, and trying to, you know, everybody cranking the sliders to 100. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to shoot with a lot less color. And because color can overwhelm a story, you know, it can overwhelm your image of what you're trying to do from your composition. And with less color or even shooting in monochrome, that's where more of the artistry comes out, in my opinion. I agree. I agree. And, uh, you know, I, I, I love photography and I started pho- photographing a lot at the beginning just because of color. Color was the thing that drove me um, in photography. So color is a big part of why I photograph and why I have photographed. But I find myself looking towards more muted styles also. Um, and I find it more interesting. So I... Right now, I'm kind of obsessed with weird rocks and stuff, so I've been going around photographing weird rocks, and, uh, you know, they don't have a lot of color to them. No. They're just really interesting forms and shapes, and that's Patterns something. And textures. I, yeah, and I'm interested in that right now. Uh, I, I, I'm enjoying going to the Midwest and photographing some of the prairie lands and stuff right now because... I don't see any photographers out there exploring it. I can be all by myself or with a friend and photographing something. And I don't have 60 million people standing around me like Oxbow Bend. So I'm going to the non-iconic spots uh, to photograph for myself and uh, exploring other areas of the United States that are under photographed. So I'm not running off to Utah every chance I get. I'm rather head to eastern Montana or the Dakotas and uh, enjoy myself there. Yeah, which I think is a great point. I mean, you can make meaningful images just about anywhere. You don't have to go to iconic spots. You can, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know as a workshop person and I, I i've said this before too it's I, I find arkansas really beautiful and i love photographing there and someone said well why don't you do a workshop there i said because no one will sign up so <laughs> you know for as a workshop instructor you have to go to places where people are more apt to sign up or else you're not going to be doing any workshops right. but um as a photographer i enjoy going to those under photograph places idaho how about idaho Idaho, uh, I've had been photographing. Yeah, and I, I, I keep uh, every year I backpack in a different wilderness area in Idaho, whether that's the Sawtooths or the um, um, or others, and it's just a great place to photograph. And I think I'm down to one wilderness area to go to photograph in Idaho and. Then I'll be done. I think that's a, it's the a Seven Devils Wilderness. So. It always amazes me when I do workshops and folks come out to the west from, you know, the east or uh, south, and they all look at me or John and they go, "Boy, 
you guys are so lucky. You've got it all right in front of you. And the reality is everybody's got it right in front of you. I don't care where you live. It's you, true. You live in, you can live in, you know, 57th Street in New York. Yeah, exactly. And far from there, you can shoot. But, it, you know, they think that, you know, here you get right out of your car. And a lot of it, a lot of, a lot of times you do, but if you look around, I call, uh, I, I recommend people develop what, what I call a sense of place mm-hmm. and find some places close to where they live and keep going back in different light and different seasons and different weather. And man, it's just so, it, it's there. You just got to look. It's true. Um, you know, Mike Motes is a good example of that. He was out, he was off in one of those iconic spots that, uh, he was photographing with 47 other people at the Watchtower in Zion. And then uh, he looked around and said, you know, how am I going to compete with all these people? They're doing the same image at the same time. So that's when he started his tiny landscapes. And then he could just photograph like you just mentioned. Mo- Moats is just lazy. Moats <laughs> doesn't want to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. And I say that lovingly. I might sit to your friend. I give him a bad time. He just wants to not have to get up at 4 in the morning and stay out till 11 at night. I used to do that with him, and he quickly uh, had enough of that. But if you're listening to this, Mike, I, I'm really like kidding. <laughs> no, Mike works his butt off. I've he's actually not, got a photograph of Moats taking a landscape shot. Wow. And I told him if he yeah. ever – Gets me angry. I'm going to post it. And his 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 career is over. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, it's this stuff is there, and and it just, is just got to got to look, you know. And uh, it's, it's an amazing concept. Um, you know, this is never a technical podcast. We leave that to the other folks who, you know, want to talk about that kind of stuff. Um, very briefly, uh, uh, David, what? What are you shooting with these days since I haven't uh, run into you now in probably a year or so? I am shooting with Canon, and I've been shooting with Canon since my film days. Uh, So that's uh, a family I belong to and uh, something that I enjoy. And I know people are going to all these newer um, well, the the mirrorless uh, can, cameras, but the the Canon 5D series just feels so good in my hand. And I, I'm a big believer that if it feels comfortable for you and you don't have to think about what's going on with the camera, then your photography will probably be better because you're thinking about what you're shooting instead. So with I Canon, you I feel that little, way. Uh, you have a little musical background as well. People probably don't know that, but... Um, it's kind of like playing a an instrument. You know, you get to know how the the horn feels, and you don't have to think about it. You can be creative instead of uh, you know having to worry about how this you know how the instrument performs. You, you, when you when the camera feels good in your hand, you know you you, you you're creative, and you don't have to worry about menus and all sorts of stuff. You know, and exactly. You can you you can open up your open up your eyes and brain, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, well, cool. Um, so, David, let me let me ask you real quick, just for fun, because I know you said right now you're into shooting rocks and and little things like that. But what's your right now? What's your favorite focal length? 
Oh. Or lens. Well, I, I, you know, I've got the the Canon seventy to two hundred right now. Um, it's something that I use a lot. Uh, use the f four, the two eight. I have the two eight, mm-hmm. and for that particular lens, I'm I'm seeing that way lately. So um, recently, I actually changed to wide angle just to switch things up and and to look differently. Because I don't want to get into this. Oh, I'm always going to pull this lens out. With my garden photography, it was the 24 to 70 as my workhorse, the Canon 2.8 20, 24 to 70. But these days, I'm using my telephoto lens a lot, and I'm I, I just like that compression that's going on. Um, I like the form that it can bring out, and uh, the pattern that I can bring out with it. So I'm, I've been using that a lot lately. And it just makes things more dramatic, it seems like. So the more I shoot, the more telephoto I go, it seems like. Yeah, likewise. I mean, for the last probably year, I've been focused more on the medium medium range telephoto lenses. And wide angle hasn't come out of the bag all that often. Um, So, yeah. yeah. It's interesting how we kind of ebb and flow through different lenses as as our interest in styles evolve and change over time. Mm hmm. It, it's true. I mean, when I early on in my career, I was really a wide angle guy, and then I just compressed it more to the twenty four to seventy, and then I compressed it even more to the seventy to two hundred, and now I'm putting on teleconverters. And all right, the next know. step is the one hundred to four hundred landscapes. Yeah, I, I, I just I have to buy that. It's, it's a good <laughs> lens, and uh, I haven't bought it yet, so it's just something I need to. I need just to pull the trigger and do it. Yeah. You know, wide angle lenses. We I did. I, 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 did we? Didn't we do a podcast about that one time? John? I don't think so. I think we've talked about it. We need to do that because I got to tell you, wide angle lenses. If you don't use them right, they'll they'll uh, they're they're very dangerous if, uh, in the wrong hands. I have some so. <laughs> <laughs> just a lot of a lot of wide means a lot of stuff in the image, and sometimes that's a detriment. Yeah, um, you know, I, I know uh, two photo Cascadia members, Chip Phillips and uh, Aaron Bobnick, both use wide angle a lot, and they do some really interesting things with it. So uh, when you talk to them, they may be they may be some people that you could have on have on here, and they can give you some really cool hints about what they do with wide angle lenses. Terrific! Hey. Uh, David, uh, just uh, some selfish, selfish promotion. Uh, tell us what you have coming up and how people can get a hold of you and, uh, and uh, let everybody know, um, you know, what you're up to here in the next uh, few months. Okay. Uh, well, my website is dmcobbphoto.com. That's D, uh, then M as in man, and then cobbphoto.com. And with my Best in the North works, West workshops in 2020, I've got three spots left for the Palouse uh, in the, uh, for the Spring Greens, and the rest of them are sold out at this time, but I do have waiting lists. Um, I'm doing uh, Crater Lake National Park through the Cascade Center of Photographer, uh, Photography with uh, Zach Schniff, and I've got a Mount Rainier National Park workshop with, uh, through the um, Pacific Northwest Art School. And then uh, some Louisiana, back and going. I just got back from Louisiana, and I'm heading out again next November for the uh, cypress trees in fall. And that's just, it'll be beautiful in 2020. So I'm looking forward to returning there again. And then some others way down the road. Uh, 
and some uh, international travel. We'll be heading back to Croatia and Slovenia again next fall for some fall um, photography and uh, some others that I'm doing through the Cascade Center of Photography in Europe. So um, just kind of a nice lineup there. Wow, sounds like you're going to be busy for sure. Yeah, I stay busy. Yeah, so. that's good. let me just one final thing because I'm curious about Croatia and Slovenia. How how is uh-huh. it traveling around through the country for those that haven't been? Uh, traveling around there is super easy. Uh, Slovenia is an absolutely stunning little country. Uh, it's got some wonderful churches on every hill. Uh, very idyllic, but everyone there speaks English. They're well read. Um, they're really easy to get to. So, and then the same with Croatia. I've, I've been to both countries about seven times. So I've never had an issue in either of those countries. And they're a lot, a lot of fun to photograph. And, uh, especially in the fall, there's a lot of really nice fall color going on there. Wow. That sounds cool. That's, that's neat. That's a very unique location that a lot of people don't visit. So. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty pretty place, and it's a pretty time to be there. Excellent. So. Well, David, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, it's about time. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I think we you called on me uh, last summer, but I was kind of busy until about now. So, um, thanks for getting back in touch with me, and nice talking with you. It is, and David. Let's not make it uh, <clears throat> as long as uh, it's been. Um, it'd be fun to get together again. Sounds good. When yeah, we'll have area, to get Jack down into the Portland area, and you can come over, and uh, we'll have a party. Sounds good. Yeah, well, thank you. you. So, folks, um, again, show notes are up. Um, you can get out to all David's information through our webpage, wetalkphoto.com. If you have any uh, comments, questions, suggestions, we have an email, wetalkphoto at gmail.com. And with that, I think we'll close this out. Jack, any final thoughts? Not at all. I want uh, to thank David again. And, John, we'll uh, get together here for another podcast real soon. Indeed. Thank you, folks. Bye-bye.